Could we read together, please, Psalm 110? I'm reading from the NIV. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle, arrayed in holy majesty from the womb of the dawn, you will receive the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge nations heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook beside the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22. So we've read the words of David the psalmist. Now listen to the words of the Christ. Matthew 22 and verse 41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. He said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Acts chapter 2, the book of the Acts, chapter 2. And we read from verse 29. And these are the words of Peter on the day of Pentecost. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, 
let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And we must go to the book of Hebrews to find the connection. Hebrews chapter 1. And we'll just read one verse in chapter 1, verse 13. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? And finally, Hebrews 5, verse 5. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, You are my son, today I have become your father. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever, in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. <clears throat> I would like you to keep your Bibles open at Psalm 110. And rather than use the overhead and PowerPoint, I would like you just to make reference to this as, as we go through this, <coughs> this wonderful psalm together. It's a coronation psalm. We believe it was used on the coronation of kings David and his successors. It's also a prophetic psalm, as you'll understand from what we will talk about today. And it's a messianic psalm. It's a psalm that speaks of the Messiah. It contains two oracles. Now, that's a big word, isn't it? That's a a difficult word to understand. It's not really. An oracle or a decree is just a declaration or a communication from God by the Spirit of God, and in this case to this King David who wrote the psalm. A declaration by God concerning his son. The first of the oracles is a prophetic oracle concerning God's eternal king. And the second is a divine oath, also an oracle, but it's with an oath. God swears. It's an oath. And it's concerning his anointed one to be the king-priest in Zion, a great priest after the order of Melchizedek. God says, 
through David. And we're listening to the very conversation of heaven here. Yahweh, the Lord. You'll see in your Bibles, capitals. It's Yahweh. I am. Says to my Lord, capital L, lowercase, the rest. He's speaking to another. And the Hebrew for this is Adonai, sovereign one. Yahweh says to this one, who is the Lord, and as David says, my Lord, my Lord, sovereign one, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies the footstool of your feet. Sit enthroned. That's what the emphasis of sitting is. Enthroned. At my right hand, in the place of honour and authority beside the king, second in authority to him only. What a wonderful declaration to be given to David, the king, concerning the one he describes as my Lord. My Lord. If we go back to Psalm 2, you'll find it's another coronation psalm. And the language is very similar to this. But we'll just remind you of some of the things it says in Psalm 2. It talks about the rulers being gathered together against the Lord. Capitals, Yahweh. And against his anointed. And this anointed is the same one that David speaks of here as my Lord. (laughs) So the rulers are gathered together against the Lord, Yahweh. And it's interesting, isn't it? This is quoted by that prayer time in the church of God in Jerusalem. When in the trouble that they were going through after all that had happened to the Lord Jesus, and they were having a time of prayer because of the fact that some of them had been put in prison, and they raised their voices to God. And in that prayer, they mentioned these wonderful verses from the Psalms, because that's what they had in those days. That's all they had. They had the Old Testament scriptures. The rulers were gathered against the Lord and against his anointed. And how, how appropriate it was, how real it was for them that this was being fulfilled. But this one who's speaking and that they are read against is Yahweh, the Lord. And it's against his anointed one, the one who is the Messiah. For that's what the Hebrew means. And for those of us who, who want to enjoy this maybe for the first time, that's a lovely title. That's a most profound title of the Lord Jesus, Messiah. The Hebrew for anointed one is Messiah in English. And the Greek for anointed one in English is the Christ. That's lovely. So every time we use that name, Christ, it's it's a wonderful name. It's the anointed one. It's the one 
that David describes as my Lord, to whom Yahweh says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies the footstool of your feet. It's Jesus. It's the Christ. And isn't that wonderful that the Lord Jesus himself, the Messiah on earth, one day speaks to the Pharisees and he says to them, what do you think of the Christ? Whose son is he? <laughs> Whose son is he? David's son. Well, how is it then, if he's David's son, he describes him as my Lord? What wonderful teaching there is for us to grasp here. This one who was, who was standing there and questioning the Pharisees, he wanted them to understand that he was the Messiah, he was the Christ. He was the one of whom David spoke when he referred to him as my Lord. And yes, he was the son of David as to his human nature, because he could trace his way back. And in the purposes of God, his mother was Mary. He was in the line of David. Yes, he was David's son, but he was more than that. He was David's Lord. He was David's Lord, the sovereign one. As to his divine nature, he was the Lord, the anointed one, the Christ. That's him in the world, speaking to the Pharisees. There was Calvary, we know that. And the anointed one was cut off at Calvary, as was prophesied by the prophet Daniel. But he was raised again, and we've learned that today, haven't we, again? We've rejoiced in that. He's alive. The center of all that we believe. And the focus of all that we will enjoy in this life and for, for eternity is based on this, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and he uses this again. He quotes this again. David did not ascend into heaven because he was buried here and that's where he finished. But this one has ascended into heaven and God has said to him, you are Lord and Christ that all of Israel know assuredly that God has made him both Lord and Christ. Powerful message that day of where the Lord Jesus was when he spoke that message. He was there at the right hand of God. He had sat down. <laughs> the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand. The writer to the Hebrews picks it up again. It's wonderful to trace these, these lovely scriptures that I think this, this quotation from Psalm 110 is used most often in the New Testament, more often than any other quotation. 
It's, it's so full of power and meaning for us to grasp. The writer to the Hebrews says, God never said that to an angel. <laughs> the one to whom he's speaking is much superior to any angel. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies the footstool of your feet. He never said that to any angel. In Psalm 2, it goes on to say in verse 6, I have installed my king in Zion, my holy hill. That's where he is today. That's where the Lord Jesus is. That's where the Christ is today. He's installed as the king in Zion, in spiritual Zion. He said to me, this is the conversation of heaven again in Psalm 2. Listen into it. He said to me, this is the Lord now speaking, the anointed one speaking. He said to me, you are my son. Today, I have become your father. I really prefer it. Today, I have begotten you. There's just something special about that. Sit at my right hand. I want you to think of that scene when they took the Lord Jesus and they bound him in the garden and they took him that night and they took him to Caiaphas, the high priest. And they said to him, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Yes, it is as you say. But I say to you, in the future, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One. and coming on the clouds of heaven. What a statement. They rose up in anger at what he said that day. He's blaspheming. And you know what it says? It says, you've read it, haven't you? They spat on his face. They spat on his face. The Christ... Others slapped him. He's worthy of death. Let's roll forward a little to the day when Stephen stood before the Sanhedrin, the same group who had rejected the Christ. And he made his defense. It was to be his last defense as a young man they were to take him out of the city, drag him out of the city, and stone him to death. Before they got to that stage, he says, Look, I see heaven open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. It was real. Stephen saw the heaven that day, and he saw the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That's where he is. They covered their ears. It says in my version, they yelled at the tops of their voices. So incensed by what they heard, 
and dragged him out of the city, stoned him to death. And just like his master, forgive them. Lay not this sin to their charge. And the witnesses that day laid their garments and their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. He would never forget it. He would never forget it. A young man named Saul. And the Lord Jesus would have a reckoning with that man one day and turn around his life. That lovely psalm goes on to say, if you have it open in front of you, the Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. There will be no foe remaining when the Lord Jesus takes his rightful place. We're talking about our Savior here. This is the one that we, that we serve. There'll be no foe remain. I think for that lovely expression, you will, you will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. I, I have had that lovely thought recently that in a sense he has extended his scepter outside of Israel from the Jews to the Gentiles and to us, hasn't he? He's extended his scepter to us. And you know, on Lord's Day morning, when we come to remember the Lord Jesus and we come to worship Yahweh for our Lord, so he extends his scepter to us and invites us to come in, to come in to the presence of God and worship his God and his Father. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. There's a sense there of the free will offering, or as Paul says, and it's a challenge to us, isn't it? That we're willing troops engaged in a warfare with our Savior, the commander, and we're willing, and we're giving ourselves as living sacrifices. Romans 12 and 1, the apostle appeals, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Do we not want to do that for, for the Saviour who has done so much for us? And who is so high and exalted today? Not recognised by many, but surely we will recognise him for where he is and who he is. Arrayed in holy majesty. That's speaking about holy garments of splendor with which we will worship the Lord, as the psalmist says in another place, in the splendor of his holiness. That's what worship of our God is for those of us in the churches of God, in the house of God. That's what it is. It's, it's a splendid thing. It's the splendor of holiness, of his holiness, and of the holiness that he has brought to us to set us apart for that, that is worship and service for him. What a privilege it is for us to be engaged in that. 
from the womb of the dawn, you will receive the dew of your youth. Now, there's, there are a couple of interpretations of this, but I, I have chosen one of them that's just special for me. And for those who are young here today, and I'm so glad to see so many young disciples of the Lord Jesus here today. There's the thought here of young warriors flocking to this one, this sovereign one, this mighty Lord at the right hand of Yahweh. Young warriors flocking to him in priestly robes to engage in holy war, pouring into the camp morning by morning, just like the Jew. Isn't that a lovely thought? That these young, energetic warriors, clothed in, in garments, holy garments, dedicated in their lives to service for the Lord Jesus, pouring into the camp and engage in this holy war with the mighty Saviour. He's God's supreme king. <laughs> He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, isn't he? And Paul comes to 1 Corinthians 15. He says, he must reign. He must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. All his enemies. And the last enemy to be abolished will be death. <laughs> he will abolish it. And then he will hand over and subject himself to Yahweh. <laughs> That's a wonderful picture, isn't it? Of the triune God, and yet, in a sense, he subjects himself. I, I can't really explain that, but there's just so much, isn't there, for us to rejoice in and what is lying ahead. And I'm so glad that we've been brought that by, by Dave today. We've got a wonderful hope. We've got such great glory to look forward to. I haven't, I haven't got to Oracle 2 yet, but we've, we've time, we've time. Oracle 2. The divine oath. Establishing his anointed one as the king priest in Zion and assuring him again as he will be the victor over all the powers that oppose him. It's all about victory here. And he says to him, and he swears it, and he makes an oath with it. <laughs> now, does God need to do that? A God who, he's immutable, he doesn't change. There's no one greater that he can swear by because there's no one greater than himself. And yet he swears, he makes an oath here. <laughs> We're absolutely sure this is, this is going to happen. This is, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek? Oh, that's a strange. Melchizedek? He appears in the scriptures in Genesis 14 when Abraham returns from the slaughter of the kings. He's been after uh, to pick up Lot who has been captured and he, he has this great victory. He takes Lot again and he's met by this man Melchizedek. 
His name means king of righteousness. And he was associated with priestly service in Jerusalem. He's also described as king of Salem, king of peace. And he meets Abraham. And he blesses Abraham. The writer to the Hebrews tells us that the lesser was blessed by the greater. We would have thought Abraham was the greater person. No, Melchizedek is the greater person here. This king is also priest. I don't understand what was happening here in terms of priestly service, but he's described as being priest of God Most High. God Most High. And the Hebrew for that is El Elyon. I like that, don't you? Uh, God Most High. The Lord Jesus was described as the Son of the Most High. He's appointed to a higher order of priesthood than anything that was associated with Israel. The priesthood was associated with Aaron and his sons. And yet, Abraham gave tithes to this man, Melchizedek. And Abraham was the great-grandfather of Levi. We get great teaching of this in the book of Hebrews. For this was in the mind of God, that his son would be a priest, associated with a priesthood much greater, much more superior in any way, in every way, to that of Aaron and the sons of Levi. Note, it says, without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days, or end of life, like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. We know Melchizedek must have had a father and a mother, but it's not mentioned. And where the scriptures are silent, they say far more. <laughs> and it's emphasized here that he would be, in that there's nothing about his genealogy. It's not depending now on where he comes from. It's depending on the man. It's the person now, because the oath has been made. You will be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, written all those years ago. Our king is also our great priest. Isn't that a wonderful thing? He's the only one who could do them both and be functioning together as king and priest. The book of Zechariah talks about that happening, and we will, we will see this in the future development in the glories that we have been thinking about, the king and the priest, and the two together. He will be a priest on his throne, and that's where he is today. Hebrews says, we have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. 
That's, that's very different. No priest or high priest in Israel was on the throne. And no king was high priest. They were separate offices altogether. And the priesthood could not continue forever because one priest would die and it had to be handed on to his son. But this priesthood is indestructible because it's the priesthood of the Lord Jesus, great priest over the house of God, never ending, never ending, eternal. Who sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. So all the material and physical is now spiritual. And the Zion that we see associated with Jerusalem is now the heavenly Zion, Mount Zion. And that's where we worship in churches of God when we remember the Lord Jesus. That's where we function as a priesthood. Hebrews 1 says, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. He sat down, a finished work, but also a position of authority. He sat down, enthroned. When he had made one sacrifice for sins forever, the priests annually were making sacrifices for sins. He made one sacrifice for sins forever, and then he sat down. Work finished. Work finished. What a saviour we have. What a king. What a great priest over the house of God. And in resurrection, this is what his father said to him, you are my son. Today, I have become your father. You can imagine it, can't you, really? It's, it's powerful. He rises to the throne and he sits down. You're my son. You're my son. You're a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Indestructible. Eternal. That's my saviour, that's your saviour. That's Jesus of Nazareth. That's the Christ, the son of the living God. My Lord. He's your Lord, isn't he? He's your Lord. He's supreme in everything. Absolutely. And that's what the Father has purposed for him. It tells us that, Paul tells us that in Colossians. In everything, he will have the supremacy. <laughs> everything. King, priest, and he's a man. He's a man. He's the man, Christ Jesus. Glorious thought, isn't it? And for that very reason, we'll see him one day and we'll be able to touch him. I'm speaking reverently here. We'll be able to sit down and eat and drink with him in his father's kingdom. Can you imagine that? 
The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. This great day of judgment coming, you know. But we're on the winning side. He will be victorious. He will drink from the brook beside the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. He lift up his head. Yes, he lift up his head. Supreme. After all, the judgment. It says in Thessalonians, we were brought there today, but it tells us that he's going to be revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. On the day he comes to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. And the writer Paul says to the Thessalonians, this includes you. Amazing, amazing. What glory, what glory, what glory is ahead for us all? Because of him, because of him. And you know, I'm going to finish because tomorrow morning, those of us who are privileged in churches of God to be engaged in this service, and it's the highest form of service that we can be engaged in in this life, to worship the Lord for our Savior, for the King. And we can only do it because he is king, and because he's great priest. Peter tells us in his first epistle, and he's talking about us now, you're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. And that's special. The priesthood of a king. Priesthood of a king. A holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises. I would prefer the original version of it. Show forth the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. That's why we're in this priesthood, to show forth the excellencies of our king and of our great priest. And then he says, you're also, you're living stones. You're built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Same priesthood, a holy priesthood set apart for holy service arrayed in holy garments to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And that's what happens when we worship God. The fruit of lips, sacrifices. Spiritual sacrifice, not animal sacrifices now. The one sacrifice has been made once and for all to bring us into this place where we can bring our spiritual sacrifices. And what are they? They're all of Christ. They're all of him acceptable to God through him. They're of him and they're through him. And I'll finish. Revelation 1 and verse 5. That's one of my favourite verses. And this was written, this book was written to churches of God. Remember that. The whole book was written to churches of God. There were letters in teach of the churches, the seven churches, but the whole book was written to churches of God. It's written to us. And who it's it from? It's from Jesus Christ. 
who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, resurrected glory, supreme, supreme, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Oh, we, we remember that again. Hasn't been established yet, but it will be. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his own blood and has made us to be a kingdom. Isn't that good? He's made us to be a kingdom. He's the king. And we're in his kingdom. And he has made us to be a kingdom. And more than that, and priests in this priesthood in which he's the great priest over the house of God to serve his God and Father to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You'll join me, won't you? Amen. Thank you.